Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into a brand new episode of the Believe and Royals podcast. I'm Alex Fuse. There's Danner, and we are joined with a very special guest, Alec Lewis, Kansas City Royals beat writer with the Athletic. Alec, thanks again for hopping on on the podcast today. First off, how are you doing on this great Tuesday morning? Yeah, you'll probably hear it, but I'm a little under the weather. I don't know if that's just you cover six months of baseball and you're just exhausted. So at this point, my body's just telling me that I, I, I need to stop. That probably is likely. Um, and if you can see me, I'm in my uh, off-season outfit of a hoodie and a hat because that is that is what it, it, it calls for. But no, I'm good. I was in Arizona last week for a few days. Um, checking out a ton of prospects, talking to a lot of scouts and uh, Royal staffers, and, and it was awesome. So, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm really appreciative that you guys ha- are having me. Uh, it's always always fun to catch up. You know, you said you are wearing a hoodie. It is finally – it's hoodie season, finally. We had, like, for like two weeks of it's like, okay, it's going to be 55 in the morning, but it'll be 90 in the afternoon. And I'm over it, dude. I'm, I'm so happy. Like, I, I want it to be baseball season forever. But if we could have baseball season and hoodie season at the same time, that would be amazing. Right. And the people who know me know that I commit to hoodie. So if I'm, if I'm starting the day and it's 55 and it's getting, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a hoodie and I just roll through and I guess I'm sweating during the day, but you're right. Um, if it's not baseball season, might as well be able to wear the comfortable things. That's for sure. I'm all, I'm all aboard the hoodie season, all aboard the hoodie season. How could you, I mean, how could you not be? I've got my whole closet is, I don't know. I, I made the transition from quarter zip to hoodie uh, years ago, and it's it's been an ongoing uh, evolution. But um, no, it was interesting. Like Arizona, I was out there last week, and it was it was that exact thing. The morning it would be like fifty, and it's it gets real cold out there in the morning, and then obviously through the day, as it's similar to spring training, it gets hot, and so you're kind of navigating all of it. But um, just to be out there was was very very enjoyable you seeing things you know th- this past week out there that have you really excited for i mean obviously you're excited for baseball season all the time but but in particular the things that have you really looking forward uh to next year things that you think we might see um you know people that, that might come up at the big league level next year yeah i didn't see bobby witt jr uh and i didn't see nick prado or mj melendez those three already probably excite not only me obviously having covered these guys the last couple of years but the organization and then obviously the fan base but saw a ton of stuff and and yeah just to see how how kind of the Royals organization in the fall goes about things um and I was talking to a scout about he was frustrated that he couldn't see the guys take batting practice on the field and usually like if you go to a big league game you'll see hours before a game uh teams MLB teams take batting practice on the field and it's very casual but the way the Royals hitting the development department's operating now is they really don't there's not many just casual, we're going to swing for the fences riffs. It's very intentional. And so that, that is a small little, I think, microcosm of, of just the environment as a whole. They, they, they keep things very focused. There were a lot of cool things that stood out. Um, a lot of the young players and, and energy that I think always rubs off and excites you. So I, when I can be out there and hang around some of these young guys, be it an Eric Pena, uh, who's 18 and from the Dominican Republic, or – be it, I mean, any pitcher, Brandon Markland, who is a reliever that very few people know, but had Tommy John surgery and is kind of working his way back, just to hear kind of the vibe of those guys is 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 a joy, and it's part of 
what I love most about this job when I get to kind of just hang around, have conversations with these people about uh, their life beyond the game. That's because uh, they're human beings. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was exciting for sure all the way around. What did you learn most in Arizona in your short trip there? Oof, that's tough. Um, I think I learned that, that the baseball world beyond just obviously the Royal staff uh, has a lot of respect for what the Royals have been doing, both on the, the drafting side and developing side. And I, I think a lot of people who read myself and follow think I'm like the eternal optimist. And, and I, I mean, part of that is because I think it's what I love about baseball is the hope and kind of the future and that type of element is really what I what what just I love about the game but I think just to hear from many scouts guys who had seen uh, a lot of these players in the past and who have watched the farm system kind of transition especially with what the Rose have done developmentally I think um, to hear that optimism from the external side was to me uh, probably what stood out most I, there were a lot of other elements to it I think from from an internal Royals perspective that I was kind of digging into that we'll have stories on uh, in the next couple of weeks, probably that I think I learned that they are as committed as they they talk about. Um, But I think just to hear what people on the outside think of this farm system and the transition that that it's made over the last couple of years, uh, I think stood out to me most and was just kind of a confirmation of what I've written about a lot, honestly. I have a lot of friends that, that griped about, you know, the way we performed after winning, you know, going to back-to-back World Series, winning it in 2015. And I think a lot of us had to realize, like, especially with your farm system, that's when the bills come due, you know, to, to pay for those two World Series trips. Do you think, I mean, are you seeing light at the end of the tunnel at this point with everything that we have going on? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, we've talked about it. I'm sure you guys have. I'm sure Royals fans and, and even the Royals staff how the way things played out in 2015 and 16 and then 17 and losing the core uh, that brought you to a world series and brought, I think, Royals fans in this city to a place they probably, many of them probably didn't expect they'd get to um, the way that played out, put this organization in a situation where they knew they would be rebuilding. And that's never fun for anybody. You obviously always want to compete. I think the people at the top of this Rose organization want to compete more than than really any fan probably would. They think about it all day long and, and dream about it and sleep, think about it all the time. So um, to your point, Jeremy, I think as, as time has kind of passed, and these six years, obviously five years, have not been the easiest, um, I think you are for sure starting to see uh, a light at the end. And I think I mentioned some of the guys, Bobby Witt, obviously, <laughs> MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, those types of guys, I think the pitching – um, just continues to, to produce guys. I mean, there, there are prospects in the system that nobody knows about. And, and, and even down to like a Zach Hockey, who was another 2018 MLB draft pick, I think in the sixth round, who was pitching in the Arizona Fall League, who scouts really like. And if he can stay healthy, he's another guy beyond the eight or however many debuted this past year that I think can contribute to this team. And so I think that's why there is that light at, light at the end of the tunnel. And I understand a lot of times when fans um, want to see the results uh, now, that's how, it's how fans' expectations should be. But there is – one scout was like, it's funny to hear how people reacted to Daniel Lynch's struggles at the very beginning because it, 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 he has the stuff to be a top-of-the-line starter, and I think everybody knows that. And while it's tough to see struggles early, I think time – Time proves often. I think Candace Parker had a quote 
uh, yesterday, maybe. And it was like, you're, you, sometimes you don't have to tell your story, time will. And I think with a lot of these prospect debuts, um, that's kind of the vein I think about that. And so I think the light at the end of the tunnel is pretty clear. And I think this year, as, as guys like Bobby Wood Jr. and MJ and, and Nick Prado transition to big leagues, people will start to see that for sure. Alec, were you surprised that fans and obviously people like yourself covering this theme did not see a Bobby Wood Jr. at the big league level in the 2021 season? Man, um, somewhat, I think just because of the way spring training played out. I mean, he was just so dominant in spring training. He was so dominant going back to the summer camp in 2020 when I think he had like a 12 pitch at bat off Danny Duffy. And there was like, a, I'll never get this image out of my head, but it was Danny Duffy on the mound, 12 pitch at bat against like a 19 year old, 20 year old Bobby Witt Jr. And afterward, Bobby, I think got a hit and, and, and they were like laughing around on the field, Whit Merrifield and Danny Duffy. And I think Danny afterwards said, jokingly, like best player of all time. Um, so that happened in this spring training. He hit a few towering home runs and just seemed like the clubhouse really respected him in a way that I think we often undervalue with these prospects coming up I think it really matters that these young players have the respect of the guys who have grinded throughout the system like a Whit Merrifield to get to where they are and so I think as the year played out and Bobby continued to dominate I think I was somewhat surprised that that he didn't debut um, but there are a lot of factors often that we even as reporters and it's my job to find out as much information about this team that I can and provide that to the fans there's often so much that that we don't know and I think the more time I've done this the more I've learned that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes so much information that we don't have that plays into these decisions um and so I think as I think about that it, I, I think I can balance out my opinion of yes he should he should be getting this opportunity with they probably know something or have an opinion that that is is founded more than than my opinion on the outside would be if that makes sense but i think overall for him to prove what he did at the double a level and the triple a level and prove that really i mean there there's not much more he can accomplish in the minor leagues i think it's probably going to benefit him for a long time to come and i think that's that's what the royals hope was as they saw this season play out have you had a chance to talk to him after he was named the minor league player of the year? And has there been, I mean, all the interviews I've seen, dude seems super humble, like a regular, you know, hardworking guy trying to do the best he can. Have you, have you talked to him following that? Is that, does that change anything for him or does he keep his head down and keep doing the same stuff? It's the same. He's the same guy who in spring training, when you're drinking a Dutch bros coffee out on the backfield, is like, Oh, what coffee? He's just a nice, a really nice, genuine dude. And obviously I'm fascinated with like how fame affects people. And he is, is having things from all sides, people asking things of him probably all the time. Um, and to this point, he has remained the guy that, I mean, I, I remember interviewing a couple of years ago. And I think you can't not attribute that to how he was raised and his, his parents. And I think just a, a special makeup of a player that um, has impressed from the day he arrived. I mean, there, I'll write about this more, I'm sure, in time, but I'm pretty sure in that 2019 draft class where he was selected as the number two pick in the draft, he was the only high school player that the Royals selected. And so he's the only guy of that age that arrived in Arizona. And you can imagine how, I don't know, stressful that would be. You don't have any people around your age to be friends with. And he navigated that pretty 
pretty wonderfully. Um, and I think ever since has, has impressed. So it'll be interesting as always to see how, when guys arrive at the big league level, how they react to all the, I guess, strenuous kind of circumstances that the big league level offers. But it's hard for me to think that, that this is a, is that this is a guy who is really going to, he, he really is um, the type of guy that he is. And I, I, I I don't know. I think the way he was raised has a plays a major role in that. How would you say going forward that this team, I mean, they finished fourth. The, the final record for the Royals was 74 and 88. Um, and you look at the past few years, right? They've gotten better. That record has improved every single year going forward. A lot of people kind of re- relate this theme to the 2013 Royals, right? Uh, about two years before the team went back-to-back uh, World Series appearances, the game has changed so much just from five years ago, six years ago. Um, how has the Royals' philosophy changed but also remained the same since the last time they played in, in the World Series? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, covering this team since 2019 – I mean, and understandably, you hear about the 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015 years all the time. And everything now is compared to them all the time. And I don't know if it's maybe because I didn't grow up here or I didn't live through that experience, and that's probably the reason. But I have a hard time comping it to those years because everything is different. To your point, I think the game has really evolved. I think the executives at the top, of this Royals organization have evolved in, in throughout the game. Um, and so I just, like, I think Salvi said at the end of the year, like he compared this season kind of 2012 and I can understand why he has a perspective being in the clubhouse that I would never have. Um, so part of me understands it, but I think your question was about how, how things have evolved. And I think um, a lot of it is just understanding how important in a small market, like the Royals have developing pitching is, to sustaining success. I think as you've seen the Royals draft or drafts over the last, I don't know, three years since 2018, even probably back to around 2015, um, they've drafted a lot of pitching. And I think they realize that that development is as essential as ever in developing players at the highest level. And, and people ask all the time, well, what does that entail? And I think it is having people always say analytics and it's the buzzword, but having the best information that you can harboring that information through as much technology as possible. And then I think more importantly, having the right people in place to translate that information to the player. And a lot of times these players don't understand swing plane, barrel efficiency, some of these like really in the weeds um, metrics. And so it's often on the coaches to relay the information in a way that these players understand. I think that's been part of the evolution But the thing I think that has stayed the same with this organization and these front office executives is they believe that if if you care for the player, come alongside the player, regardless of whatever development uh, technologies and and communication techniques you might have, I think if you care about the player, things will work out. And so I think that that coming alongside the player and supporting their as people beyond the game is a, a, I think, tenant of this front office that, that has stood the test of time. And, and it has stood a long time because I think Dayton Moore, beyond Brian Cashman, is the second longest, longest tenure, now president of baseball operations in the game. And I think that just speaks 
um, the continuity and the way they've done it because these jobs are very volatile. I mean, managerial jobs are very volatile. And I think to, to, to sustain a position as long as these executives have uh, and, and to, to be together as long as they have speaks to kind of a culture that um, we, we write about a lot, but uh, it's hard to kind of really understand from the outside. Looking back at the, at the beginning of, of this past season, you know, this is something that, that Alex and I talked about is when we were just crushing it at the beginning of the year, had the best record in baseball um, as optimistic. And as much as I, I love the team, you know, I had to be honest and be like, I don't think this is who we are for real. And then we just stunk. Um, we're very, very bad is the only way to say it. And I think we all said, this isn't who we are either. And I, I want to believe that we're somewhere in the middle going, going into, you know, the 2021 season, sorry, 2022 season. That's crazy. It's the end of 2021, man. Going, going into next year. Do you think we're closer to that, uh, you know, leading the league stinking, or are we somewhere in the middle? I think probably closer to the middle, but you hope you're trending toward the April performance. And it's so interesting. I'm not, I remember writing about it at the time and really writing about it throughout the year, but there was so much that played a role in, in some of the struggles. I mean, Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier and Brad Keller were three pivotal pieces to what the Royals were hoping to do in 2021. And, and all three underperformed any projection that any of these front office uh, data research and development people would have had. And so to, to have started the way they did with those guys struggling in a sense, and then to, to struggle with those guys still struggling, it, it, some of it made a lot of sense. Um, and then I think for the team to pick it up at the end of the year and the young pitchers to, to produce the way they did, I'm not sure if projections would have expected that. So to me it all, I, I think I wrote this, but it's like you could watch on any, any given night and you could see a team that looked like, wow, they could beat anybody. And I think they, they beat the Astros. Uh, I don't know if it was a season series. I believe so. But they also, I think, beat them three games in a four-game series. And, it, I mean, the Astros, though they're losing right now to the Boston Red Sox, who is are the hottest lineup in the history of Earth, um, I, the Astros are a really good team. And, and the Royals beat them. And then you watch on another night, and they're playing Cleveland, who, who truthfully did not have – the year that they probably expected to have um, and they, and the Royals really did not do anything right. And so I think as the year you, you take the year as a whole, it all balances out. I think 74 and 88 is about uh, what everybody would have expected from like a numbers projection standpoint. I think conceivably if, if Jorge Soler had done what he did after he arrived at, in Atlanta, which I think started actually when in his last week with the Royals, um, if he had done that all year, I think this team could have won 78, 80 games. And then there's even more optimism probably leading into next year. But I think depending on what they do, this they're probably hovering around 500 next year. And you never know. I mean, because the 2015 team was not projected to be 500 and they did what they did. So uh, baseball is a very weird thing. As you see the Red Sox right now, um, with all they've dealt with, they had the number four pick, I believe, last year. And now they're kind of prime in prime position. So um, you never know in this thing, but I do think around the in-between mark is probably where this organization, big league club sits. I'll never forget this. John Sterling, voice of the Yankees, considers himself a cockeyed optimistic, always looking on the positive when it comes to baseball or just life in general. If you could be a cockeyed optimistic for the next five minutes, 
what can Royals fans outside of Bobby Wood Jr. and outside of these great prospects really truly look forward to for the years to come? Yeah, I think it's the young pitching uh, becoming what a lot of people probably expected this young pitching to become. I mentioned Daniel Lynch earlier, but I really do believe he has top of the rotation type stuff. And I think if he proves that, then the Royals drafted <laughs> drafted a, a top of the rotate drafted and developed a top of the rotation starter, which they have not done in a long time. There's also Carlos Hernandez, who probably throughout the course of the second half of the year was the most consistent young starter. And Nobody expected that. If he can stay healthy, I think he has also has that potential. Um, and, I mean, it's it's the most baseball cliche thing ever, but if you arrive at the ballpark every day and feel like your starting pitcher gives you a chance, you're going to win a lot of games. And you're going to be in a lot of games. And I think um, – I, I, so I come back to the young pitching. I think that's where it is. Jackson Coart did not have the year that he – at the big league level, I should say, that he or the Royals would have expected. So – I don't know. I think him turning it around could be could be um, a similar for optimism. And then, I mean, over the uh, as you look down in the system, as I did when I was in Arizona, I mean, you see a guy like Frank Mazzucato, whose fluidity and a delivery and and size and potential is just it, it, it's it's very special. And Ben Kuderna, same way. And then there are other guys that we don't mention, as I kind of touched on before, that just kind of stand out. So I think the pitching. Um, and pitching development and, and that continuing to kind of show itself is probably where the, the most optimism is going to come. And I think really if you take all these young guys together and blend them, and a lot of these guys have been together both living together at the Lowe's Hotel in Kansas City during 2020 or at the alternate site um, together performing against each other, competing against each other, there are bonds that I think some of the orga other organizations, young players probably don't have. And I think all of that coming together for the betterment of this organization in this city that, as I've learned, uh, cares a ton about its team, I think is, is, uh, is definitely why you could be cockeyed, be cockeyed optimistic without question. I want to talk a little bit about the young pitching you're seeing. And I don't think most folks realize just how great the difference in talent level is between double a and triple a in the big leagues you know you can go to a you can go to a double a game and watch a guy just mow through a lineup and he gets promoted to triple a and he gets shelled have you have you talked to any of the guys um you know like particularly core lynch about that struggle when they come up because i saw i saw lynch pitch in omaha the week that he got called back up and he made everyone look stupid like people looked lost on his breaking stuff it was insane and then he came up and had a good start that weekend when he got called back up but it's tough to maintain that that level of performance against big lead hitters all the time is that something that you've chatted with those guys about yeah without question I think the the two things they they have both admitted and the two things probably that I've learned most are to succeed as a starting pitcher at the big league level you either have to locate really really well or you have to have the the type of stuff in terms of arsenal and velocity and movement that just makes it really tough on hitters because if it, I mean even if you watch these playoffs it was like Last night, the Red Sox are up 9-0, and Eduardo Rodriguez is dominating. But he leaves one pitch up to Kyle Tucker, who crushed a ball. If you, I think these two guys have talked about it, Jackson and Daniel, but if, if, if you leave pitches in the middle of the plate, that you're going to get hit hard. 
like you try in the minor leagues to to locate and do you can get away with a lot of things that at the bigger level you're just not getting away with and I think they've learned that I've learned that and I remember early this year I'll never get this out of my head um Corbin Burns was in Kansas City pitching against the the Royals Corbin Burns is potential Cy Young award winner in the National League he was as good as any starter in baseball this year and Michael Taylor was really struggling. Michael A. Taylor uh, really struggling at the plate. Defensively, never struggles. He's uh, Superman out there. But at the plate, he was really struggling. Corbin Burns is, is has a ton of pitches, really tough to hit. But he left a pitch middle. Michael A. Taylor spun on it and, and took it 450 feet to the fountains. And I was like, there's a struggling hitter who just crushed a ball in the middle of the plate against one of the best pitchers in the game. And that's what these big league hitters can do and so I think with with the two young guys um it'll be interesting to see if they can locate better I'm always fascinated in like how much can you improve command and control uh versus I mean can they add pitches to their arsenal that can keep uh, opposing hitters off balance their development and and kind of as how they talk about it these two guys are very self-aware they evaluate themselves as good as I or any fan or any executive could um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what kind of, uh, what they look like in spring training. And as the season begins, because they're motivated they're, they're there are so many of these guys and even angels and Jonathan Heasley proved it. Um, there are so many of these guys who are going to be vying for spots. And so they, they know they're going to have to perform to, to stay in this rotation at the big level, which is all of their goal. I got to ask, it's kind of an off-topic question, doesn't really have to do in particular Royals. Everyone that follows you on Twitter, you always love to interact. And one running joke on Twitter the whole season has been the catchphrase, that will play. Where did this start? It's a great question because I'm not really sure. The only thing that stands (laughs) out in my head, I used to – I played a lot of golf growing up in Birmingham, Alabama. Um. A bunch of my friends, I remember like when we when we would hit a good shot or something, I remember it being said, like, that'll play. And so when I say it, that's like my tone, like, wow, that'll play. Uh, it's sometimes a little bit of like a I, – I can shift tone with how I'm saying it. Uh, but I, I think I just started to say it, and then fans picked up on it. So I was like, I'll, I'll just keep rolling with this and probably annoy some people, but maybe it makes some people smile. So that that's – I think – Alex, and you probably know this, just having talked to you and, and maybe Jeremy, and maybe the, the people who follow me realize it too, but like, I am so fortunate to have the job that I do. I'm really grateful for the opportunity and to work with people that I work alongside. And so as much as like, this really matters, covering the team uh, accurately and um, objectively really is important. And it's a serious thing for people in Kansas City. Like, I, I love having fun with this. It's, it's baseball it is not, we're not, uh, this is not Watergate. Um, and so I think I try to have as much fun and be as goofy, uh, maybe to a fault at times, but that's just kind of my nature and how I see it. I just, I, I, I enjoy it too much and I'm a, too appreciative not to try to uplift myself and other people probably each day throughout 162 game season, because it can get, it can get tedious and repetitive. And so I just, I don't know. I try to be silly. That's that's just me for, for right or wrong. Um, but I don't know if it'll play or not. Well, I guess we'll see in the long term. Do you remember, did you play Microsoft Golf on like old school PCs? 
I did not. That, that's where that came from. So there, really? I, I can't, yeah, I can't remember who the, the commentators were, but they would say things like that'll play. And, uh, oh, it's in the deep stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, and then when you, when you drill one on the green, you're dancing. <laughs> so when I play, yeah. when I play disc golf, whenever it's off in the woods, oh, it's in the deep stuff. If I can carry that on, um, I don't know, maybe I need to, maybe I need to send them a thing, make sure I'm not, uh, copywriting anything, but no, I, I, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that, but maybe I'll have to, I don't know. I don't use Microsoft. So this is probably man, 25 years ago, longer. That would be that before I was, I was born, Jeremy. I know. I know. And I, I figured that that's where I was going with it. But yeah, <laughs> I remember playing like Microsoft golf on my, on my mom's like work computer when she was a church secretary. Sounds now, like, now we're in the deep stuff. Sounds like a move. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that'll play. <laughs> well, Alec, this is our favorite part of the podcast. It's a fast five quick round. It's five quick questions, and you have as much time to answer them. Are you ready? I guess. We'll see. All right. <laughs> I see you got some bobbleheads behind you. Which is the one that you least like the most? Um... Well, I've got a, like a, I don't know, St. Louis, they gave us like a Whitey Herzog fishing. Like, I don't even understand it all. Like, I don't, there's like this fishing pole on it. It's just kind of ridiculous. I, I, they gave it to us. I kept it. I don't, Whitey Herzog, I know he's a legend. I'm not going to say one bad thing about Whitey Herzog because that would probably result in some hate or something. But yeah, like, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't really need a bobblehead of him fishing, but I did, I have it, so. Um, yeah. All right. So I have a, uh, I have a Salvador Perez Jersey. I have a Whit Merrifield Jersey. Whose Jersey do I need to buy for the next season? Ooh, wow. Um, I think the the easy answer would be Bobby Wood Jr. Right. I mean, if you can get a Bobby Wood Jr. That, that seems like the most obvious thing, but I think with Nicky Lopez, what, what he did go. this year, and just the way he plays the game, it's just very Royals style uh, and just how he interacts, I think, with the fan base. It, it, I think to me, we'll probably start to see a lot of jerseys, Nicky Lopez jerseys uh, in years to come. What would, you say, what would you say would be your go-to meal in Kansas City? I think, uh, I think the dog the dog is would be mad at me. <laughs> If I don't take, I'm barking. trying my best to cover up the dog barking. It's not working. All right, it's all right. It's all right. Um, the go-to meal in Kansas City, man, I could take some flack for this too. But I, I, I think Joe's the burnt-in Z-man at Joe's. If you can get the Z-man with burnt-ins, I think that that's as with the fries. It's just as good as it gets. I love Hawaiian Bros. Um, there's some like local spots that I really like that I'll probably uh, Farina, this Italian, nicer Italian place. I love uh, Bob Bob's wasabi sushi is no longer. They need, I, I don't know what's the situation is. They moved out of their, their current location. I think they're going to get, I, I don't know. I need them back uh, for, for my, it's some of the best sushi I've ever had. And in Kansas city, which doesn't really make sense, but I need them. I need them back. Is Salvador Perez a hall of famer? Yeah, I think I think he will be. And I I've tried to write about this a few times, but I think so often we see as on the outside or even fans, they see Salvi, nice guy, uh, as they should. Nice guy, loves the fans, enjoys the game. Um, 
But what you don't see, I think, so often is the work ethic of this guy and how much, how intense. Like, I, I've talked to some, some people he's worked with, and it's like when you talk about workhorse, that's this guy. And I think throughout the offseason, if you follow on Instagram, you'll see him in the cages and, and, and catching almost every day. Uh, but you don't see the workouts. You don't see the, the stuff he does to take care of his body. All of that will allow him to play for a long time. And I think from a hitting standpoint, uh, I think he's going to be effective because I think if he spits on pitches outside of the zone, uh, they're going to have to throw him pitches in the zone. He's going to hit him really hard, as we saw 48 times this year. And the last one for me for the Fast Five, if you could host a podcast with anyone, who would you choose and why? Um, I'm going to have to think about this one. Um, this doesn't make for good podcast hearing me thinking that's it's, it's extremely tough, but I, I, I don't know. I think I, I will, I'm having a hard time. Um, I'm trying to go through everybody. There are a lot of people you host a podcast with Vinny Pasquantino who I think is is a joy to hear and talk to. Uh, so you, you got me there. Um, you know, I, I've always thought it'd be very interesting to, like, talk to an exec, like a, a guy a guy like Dayton Moore, who has been through as much as he's been through, and just go unfiltered story, that type of thing. I don't think he would ever do it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot that he can't say or a lot that he harbors, but I think just – stories in the game, that type of thing would be very cool. Um, I, people who know me know, like I am as fascinated with pitching as anything else in the game, how pitching development works, how pitchers progress. And so like, I don't know, to do something with a guy like Tom house would be, would be unbelievable. Um, just a guy who's been around so many exceptional throwers. Uh, so that would be it. I'm sure if, if, if later in the afternoon, I'll give you a better answer, but those are some, those are some weird ones. I don't know. There, there's gotta be someone better in my head uh, that I'll think of at some point. But Tom house is one of the best ever do it. So that's pretty good. Nolan yeah, Ryan's he, pitching he, coach. Think, like, yeah, yeah. I think he, it would be fascinating to just go in the weeds. I've, I've always thought like, even as I'm watching a game in Arizona with the scout, like I always think it'd be so cool just to, be in their brain and see what they see and what they're looking for as they watch. And it's so hard to get people to open up like that and, and to, to, to really kind of talk through what they're going, but like a guy like Tom house who has the stories that he does, but also just like review film and go through, like when you're watching a pitcher pitch and you, you see him lift his leg or have his leg bent a certain, like, what is that? What do you key on when you're thinking about that certain stuff like that? It's just, it fascinates me. Um, so he would be a guy. I and mean, there, there are a lot of people that, I mean, I, I can name journalists and authors and people that I could probably talk to all the time. But uh, Tom House is, is what came to mind because I've seen him on Twitter a lot recently throughout the and I just um, pretty intrigued by just pitching and throwing in general and, and how to keep guys healthy and, and help guys develop. I would listen to that for sure, man. I, I love – seeing there's just a million things you can watch on a baseball field during a game. And when people say baseball is boring, I'm like, no, there's so many things happening right now. Even, even when the ball hasn't gone anywhere. So I, that'd be really fascinating. Listen, and just breaking down everything about pitching would be super cool. Well, it's crazy because people always talk about 
and, and when I first got the job and I, I did not come to this from like a baseball first background, I played it growing up and it was probably my most, the most fun sport I played, but truthfully, like throughout college, I didn't, I didn't write about much baseball. I did some stuff during internships, but when I started this job in 2019, it was it, the cliche was said so many times, like you learn something every day. Uh, there's so much to learn and you're like, okay, I mean, but like really is the, but then like I'm reading, I've read the MVP machine book by Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sawchick. If you haven't read it and you're listening to this or you guys, it's, it's like a Bible on player development in this, in this era. And I've read it before and I read it in 2019 and I'm going back through it and I'm like, it's talking about torso shoulder flexion in ways that like, just stuff you never think about watching the game um, stuff guys do to warm up that matters a lot in terms of the context of, of their careers. It just, I, I, I just so much of it fascinates me. Even like evaluating pitchers, you think velocity is incredible. And then you realize actually the fastball shape and the way that a fastball moves might matter more than the actual sheer velocity. And then there's deception and there's tunneling and which matters more. It's, it, it, it is a an in the weeds uh, rabbit hole that I go down probably once a week, which isn't healthy and probably why I sound the way I do, but I love it. So sorry. Well, I want to say thanks so much for taking the time today. And now this is the time to where you put yourself over. Where can fans follow you on social media and read your work? Um, yeah, well, first, I thank you guys for having me. I could talk as you guys hear. Um, I could probably talk about this stuff all day long. It's. I think about it all day long. Um, but you could, I guess, read all the stuff at theathletic.com. I, you, you could read the Royal stuff. That would be fantastic. If you're a Royals fan, that would probably make sense. But we, I mean, guys like Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal and some of the writers we have, like, like Brid Giroli and, and, and Katie Strang. I mean, the, it, the list is a laundry list of people that you will enjoy reading. Um, so theathletic.com. And then I'm on Twitter, uh, tweeting that'll play often at Alec underscore Lewis. So um, no, like I said, I, I, it's the off season, which probably means I should take some time off, but I'm, I, I'm I, and, and I think my editors are like imploring me to do so, but I'm just not able to, cause I, I just, I'm going today. I, I, before we got on, I was listening to a podcast from a hitting coach. That's an hour and a half about teaching guys training methods, because that's the way I am. So for, for, for uh, good or bad, um, I will make sure uh, at the athletic that you're, you're getting of as much knowledge kind of as, uh, as I learn stuff. I think that's as much as I learn, I want to kind of pass along uh, and hopefully a, a fun packaged way. So like I said, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm jealous of, of that office back there. So whoever uh, Alex, who's ever, all, I mean, I think we know whose office that is, but make sure to let him know I said that. I will. I appreciate it, Alec, and thanks again for coming on today. And for Dan, we'll be back next week, so tune in to the Believe in Royals podcast next week. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll be talking with you in just a little while. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.